0: Take a look on back a few decades past to a simpler time to be. When your cares were tied to a fun car ride and the next show on TV. So crank on up your boombox jams and That's right, everyone. Welcome back to 80s High, the podcast that crash-landed into your garage, <laughs> takes up residence in your laundry room, and provides a steady stream of 80s nostalgia goodness. I'm Chris. <laughs> and I'm Ben. And this is 80s High. Welcome, everyone. Ben, good to see you again. What's the news? What's the haps? Tell us what's been going on in your life.
1: <laughs> good. Uh, it's good to see you too. I love your little story. I love picturing like little 80s high gremlins camping out in people's laundry yeah. rooms. Uh, just being like, hey, do you remember, uh, do you remember gummy bears? Like, uh, hey, remember snorks? Let's talk about snorks. It's I like those it.
0: people that walk around in life with a little Bluetooth speaker just playing their most obnoxious music and they think everyone (laughs) in the world wants to hear it. It's kind of like that, but they're just streaming 80s high and everyone does want to hear it. That's (laughs) bad. That's a little twist. Do you
1: not do that? Do you not walk around blasting '80s High everywhere you go?
0: And people are like, "What is that banging theme song?" And I'm like, "80s High podcast. 80s check high. it out wherever you get your podcast, bruh. Uh,
1: like any good '80s
0: coming of age teenage movies, I always like pull up at a red
1: light and I rev my engine next to the person next Ooh. to me, and we put down our windows, and then they hear that I'm blasting '80s High, and they're like, "Oh, yeah. what is that?" Like it's like great they, they sales think you're gonna tip.
0: race them, and then they're like, "Oh, oh
1: sweet. great show, uh, exactly."
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, I uh, no, it. I'm
1: good. Here in Homeroom, there actually have been a couple of interesting 80s happenings in the last week. Do tell. Did you see? Not only are we getting a Dirty Dancing sequel. What? The 1987 Dancing Phenom, but Jennifer Grey has announced she's returning for it.
0: Really? How are they going to do that without Swayze? Is baby all grown up and she's found a a new guy to dance it out I, with? There's no plot on yet. I like to imagine that she's like running a
1: dance studio, and there's like going to oh. be a nice little eight by ten on the wall of Swayze, or like a full cardboard cutout that she can. And is it going to be the
0: reverse with? where like she's the older person in the duo, so she exactly. finds like a younger guy oh. to dance with? Mm. But it gets
1: really spicy because it's like Swayze's long lost son. <gasps>
0: Ooh, <laughs> Johnny, was that his name? Johnny, I think. Johnny. Will yeah. it be also your second announcement that the John Travolta, Jamie Lee Curtis movie? Oh what was that one called? Perfect. Pump it up. Perfect. Uh, this one's called Perfecter. Are they bringing that one back? Oh, God, as I hope well. So.
1: Uh, she's going for the Olympics again.
0: More shorty shorts. That's what we all need We'd to need see. So, oh, my God. Oh, Lord have mercy. Well, that's interesting. Okay, what else?
1: The internet coughed up an amazing hairball this week that I read, <laughs> which was this random clip of Pee Wee Herman getting ready to deliver an Oscar at the 1988 Oscars. So he's, you know, the next award goes to, and out of nowhere, Ed 209 the robot villain from Robocop, the full mechanical puppet, shows up on stage and threatens Pee-wee's life because he didn't get an award earlier in the Oscars. Okay. At which point they launch Paul Rubens up in the air on wires and Robocop comes in from the back of the tram, and there's like a shootout with lasers and caps and sparks. I was like this is the level of Oscar's entertainment I want. This is wow, what I'm Wow, that's,
0: that's some production value. I just feel like they're really awkward weird jokes nowadays. Like totally. they're just they just seem very lame. Yeah. But like a whole spectacle. It was with, it was <laughs> between it was Pee-wee delightful. and RoboCop. Like who else?
1: <laughs> who else? Like what a crazy partnership. It was just it was just a delightful crossing of brands and personas in the 80s that, well, that like, was, a was a very
0: 80s statement for sure. Holy smokes. Right? That's okay. So that was that was my big The only thing I have is just like, now we're waiting in anticipation as we record this. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, fan voting is done. It closed, that's right. We put in our good faith effort of trying to get Pat Benatar, finally her deserved induction. Come on. And we just have to wait.
1: Attention 80s high, attention 80s high. In an orderly fashion, please report to the auditorium for emergency gathering. Thank you.
0: Oh my gosh, Ben, what is this announcement we've been brought to the auditorium for? What has happened?
1: I don't know, but I know some dirt, and I think ooh, I think it has to do with the math teacher and the, and the coach. I'm kind of excited. Oh, jeez. Oh, I've, I've been hearing the buzzings.
0: See, I think it's because we've been trading Garbage filled Kids out in the... <laughs> <laughs> playground too much and we finally got in trouble they're gonna confiscate all okay, of our cards i'm gonna
1: eat mine right now before they can take it away
0: <laughs> no what really happened is we recorded this episode on a monday right after the fan voting closed for the rock and roll hall of fame and at that point we were just like fingers crossed pat benatar gets in there's all these great other 80s artists and two days later ben what happened
1: well amazingly Pat Benatar is part of the latest class to be inducted into Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She made it!
0: Yes!
1: And classmates, you did it. I think this one's on you. Voting in, getting the word out, get the vote out for Pat Benatar. Congrats. Thanks for your help on that, class.
0: Yeah, I like to think we had a small contribution in getting her that final push. And she's being joined in this 2022 class with a bunch of 80s... Powerhouses. You've got Duran Duran, Eurythmics, Lionel Richie, Carly Simon, Dolly Parton. Of course, those two are kind of like of many generations. Oh, like they're gosh, kind yeah. of eternal right. in a way. Right. And then an interesting addition Eminem. So Eminem did make it.
1: Well, and I threw out there. I'm a little disappointed. I was like, maybe he's a child of the 80s. No, October 1972. But, you know, he was a teenager in the 80s. So, you know, he, he lived it. He was really there.
0: I didn't realize he was that much older than us. Wow. Look at okay. that. Okay. But yeah, we we're totally stoked. She finally made it after all these years, well, decades. And I was amazed after this announcement
1: came out, you know, we talked about the injustice. And thank you, classmate Andrew, for bringing this injustice to our attention so we could highlight Pat Benatar yeah. in season one of 80s High. But, you know, we are a podcast about education. It's important we learn. That's what, that's what every episode is all about. And so Pat just did an interview with Billboard after it was announced that she'd be part of the latest class inductees. And we didn't know this. We didn't uncover this. in our first episode about Pat Benatar was that she personally refused to accept any induction unless her partner, Neil Giraldo, went in at the same time with her.
0: Interesting. And so
1: year after year, they asked her, you know, do you want to be a part of this? And she said, sure, Neil's in too, right? And uh, they're like, no, we just want you, Pat. And she's like, all right, well, I'm out. So Pat, full circle, equality, standing by her music partner and her life partner. Yeah. And so she's very proud and happy that the Hall of Fame was finally like, all right, get on in here, you crazy kids.
0: Well, I say good on her for like, hey, he's been instrumental in my career. We're a duo and he gets equal you know recognition that i do i appreciate her for that but i also appreciate the fact that it looks like they tried to recognize her sooner than we thought yeah Uh, but she just said like hey on these conditions so i would say for both reasons that makes me feel a whole lot better but ultimately of course we're jazzed she made it finally happened
1: and just like we learned about in the episode it's always on pat's terms
0: it's always (laughs) on
1: pat's terms (laughs) it's so true it's It's so so true. true So, mark your calendar with Pat mm. Benatar and the rest of her inductees for the 37th Annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony on November 5th at Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles, California.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, Ben, I just saw a bunch of cats run by, so I think we have to get back to our alpha episode and find out what the heck is going on.
1: <laughs> run for your lives, felines! And if classmate Aaron could report to the principal's office with your collection of trash can kids cards, that would be most appreciated. Thank you. Uh
0: oh, I think he's in trouble, Ben. <laughs> Busted.
1: What's our topic today?
0: Well, we're talking about Alf. But uh-huh. it. it's premature to start getting too far down the rabbit hole. Cat hole? Is it a cat hole? I don't know. Let's go. We get it. need to first hear. Those sweet, sweet morning announcements, so we know how to kick off our day of class. What do you say?
1: I'm going to tweak my shortwave radio and see if I can pick up the signal of the homeroom announcements.
0: All right.
3: Beep. Attention 80s High. I'm Becca here to share today's homeroom announcements. If your infrared radio is picking up unknown alien life forms, follow 80s High Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Today's lunch menu will be Salisbury steak with a side of mashed potatoes and pineapple upside-down cake for dessert. Write it down in your Trapper Keeper to join the class of 80s High to suggest show topics, send corrections on stuff we got wrong in episodes, and share other memories and opinions on the 80s. We'll read it on the show. Email 80sHighPodcast at gmail.com to join. That's 80S. After school today, the Feline Culinary Club is meeting in the home ec room, and the Fighting Mogwais are fundraising for their tournament with the Melmec Lifeforms. They're selling bottle caps. Go buy some. Thank you, and have a totally rad day. Go Mogwais!
0: Masterful job. That was crystal clear sound that came through. You tuned right into the signal. But guess what, Ben? I'm yep. picking up on my end another radio signal. Whoa. My goodness. There's just signals all over the place here. I think we should follow this one and see where it takes us down the hallway. What do you say?
1: I see a trail of fur on the ground. I'm gonna follow it and see where it goes.
0: Okay, we'll follow our leads and see if we end up in the same place. Deal? Deal. Fancy meeting you here in oh, history class, Ben. I know it. Um something feels off in here. There's a washer. There's a dryer
1: and a collar of a cat. I feel like <laughs> and there's a giant here.
0: laundry basket with and a, a giant... little blanket in it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's adorable. Well, thankfully we have the Swiffer over here. I picked it up in the janitor's closet because oh, there's so much orange fuzz everywhere. My goodness, it can only mean one thing. Yeah, we are here to talk about Alf. Alf. Ben, would you love to take a crack at explaining to our Ooh. listeners what is Alf?
1: ALF is an acronym standing for Alien Life Form. And Mm -hmm. this was a sci-fi comedy sitcom that ran from 1986 to 1990 and is centered around the story of ALF, whose real name is Gordon Shumway.
2: Yes. Who
1: is an alien from the planet Melmac, which was unfortunately destroyed, who crash lands into the house of the Tanners in San Fernando Valley, California. Yeah, And over the course of the seasons, they learn from one another and learn to live one another. And Alf makes peculiar observations on the world in sort of an innocent, yet very sarcastic and entertaining manner.
0: Very sarcastic. That's great. And who is this family of the Tanners? You have Willie, the father. He's a social worker. You have Kate, the mother. You have their teenage daughter, Lynn, their son, Brian, and their Pet Cat Lucky, whom, if you know this show even remotely, you know Alf is always trying to eat because cats are a delicacy on the planet, (laughs) Melmac. And he gets the name Alf from Willy when he crashes. He's like, it's an alien life form, an Alf. I'm assuming that's
1: even people who were fans of the show don't know that that's an acronym. Before I started researching for this, I didn't. I thought Alf was his name. No, that it's an acronym. Oh. What they label him as. I didn't even know that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know, through the course of the show, they have to obviously hide Alf because he's this alien, and people wouldn't understand him. He does get to know certain people throughout the show, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But they're also hiding him from the alien task force, mm-hmm. and they kind of show up here and there throughout the show. Also, a big part of the cast are their neighbors, Trevor and Raquel Akmanek, as well as their nephew, Jake. Jake! I love Jake! Are we going to get into Jake later? Jake is great. He becomes a recurring character and one of those people who actually meets and is befriends out. Yeah, right. A few other people that show up along the way, you have Willie's brother, Neil. You have Kate's mother, Dorothy. They have a very kind of love-hate relationship. Mm. A lot of people do with ALF. Yeah. So Kate's mother, Dorothy, her boyfriend and later husband, Whizzer. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Interesting name. So Whizzer shows up a lot. Also a psychologist named Larry. There's a blind woman named Jody, And a lot of those people come to know and love ALF. Yeah. So that's the main part of the human cast. But we need to talk a little bit about the ALF cast because ALF – is not just this puppet. He has a whole team who comes together to create this persona.
1: Oh, there are arms akimbo inside that puppet and elsewhere on stage.
0: Absolutely. First off, we have Paul Fusco. Mm -hmm. He is the main performer for the puppet. He also voices Alf, and he controls Alf's right hand. Yes. There's another person, the assistant puppeteer, Lisa Buckley. She controls the left hand. Yeah. And then you have Bob Fabiano, who I believe is a lot of the like the eye movements and stuff. I yeah, remember when we it, talked right? about the doozers and the doozers had all of the little
1: yeah, right. Super remote control
0: tech. and little yeah. servos and whatnot? That's what Bob Fabiano does. Okay. And lastly, you have Michu Mazzaros, who was actually in costume for the first season right. as a fully moving walking around Alf. So they had like a full-body costume. But that's only in the first season. We're yeah, going to talk you about see that much later why now. that is. Wait. So those are the, the people who bring Alf to life. Well, okay. Let's just back up a little bit and talk about Paul Fusco. Yes. So Paul Fusco is born in 1953. He's an American puppeteer, actor, TV producer, writer, director. Of course, best known for the title character, Alf. He also serves as the show's creator, writer, producer, and director, and he ends up forming the production company Alien Productions with Tom Patchett and Bernie Brillstein.
1: That's a lot of hats. That's a lot of power and one pair of pants.
0: Absolutely. Oof. He's kind of the main center figure of the show. Without Paul Fusco, you don't have anything here, uh, yeah. uh, especially with the ALF character, which let's talk about that. So. Fusco had an early interest in magic and ventriloquism. He was performing at birthday parties at the age of 10. (laughs) As a student later, he worked in the AV department at Hamden High School in Connecticut, where he develops his interest in TV and film. He's also performing on a local children's television show. Again, kind of mastering puppeteering, stage magic, and ventriloquism.
1: There's a little irony here that he's mastering ventriloquism, which doesn't matter at all for his biggest thing ever, Elf. Right? He's like That's off true. camera. <laughs> you can open your mouth as much as you want. Nobody knows. That's a great point. Yeah. I like that.
0: And also, I don't know, magic to a certain extent. You know, certainly You're not magic. doing a whole lot of like close-up magic or <laughs> sleight of hand when you're right. operating this puppet. No, you're but, fine. But certainly the showmanship of it, I think, comes through. That's a great point. So Absolutely. Uh, in the early 80s, he meets puppet builder and fellow puppeteer Bob Fabiano and Lisa Buckley. Mm-hmm. They made various TV specials for HBO, Showtime. And at one point they were making these different puppets and the Alf puppet was made for this like Halloween special oh,
2: for CBS
0: Okay. and their puppet workshop. And so Fusco really took a shining to this particular puppet. He's like, there's just some reason it spoke to me. There was something interesting about it, the look. So after he builds this puppet, he's, taking it to parties, and he's cracking everyone up. They're just really enjoying this whole thing. So he's got this, like, wisecrack character really in the works. And, you know, at this point, that's where he's like, I think I want to turn this into a character and, like, create a television show around it. Mm -hmm. And so there's this really interesting thing where he goes to NBC. He meets with Brandon Tartikoff, who's the head of NBC, and he said, at this time, we kept Alf in a hefty bag. Right, (laughs) right. He's pitching to like Tartakov and this like group of executives. And it's kind of not going anywhere great. And at some point they're like, hey, before you pass, I want you to meet the character. And he actually pulls out of this trash bag the Alf puppet.
1: So in the room, you've got producer Bernie Brillstein, who's with NBC. And the puppet comes out of the bag and Brillstein had worked a bunch with Jim Henson. Oh, right. He had no interest in any more... Puppets. And he's quoted by Patchett saying, hey, what's the effing puppet doing here? Like, he's very upset when a puppet came out of the bag. So it's real tense in the room. Things aren't looking really good. And what were you going to tell us about?
0: Well, I'm just imagining. First off, you're walking into NBC headquarters and you're carrying a trash bag. So how many people are like, what are you doing? What is happening right now? And then the worst thing possible, you pull it out and you get the absolute worst reaction that that you could ever imagine. So what Fosco says he does is he has the Alf puppet pick his nose and wipe it off on Tartakov's sleeve, <laughs> and he lost, Brandon lost it. He just thought it was hilarious. So they keep talking, and eventually Brandon starts talking to Alf, not to Paul. Yeah, he's that's a actually good talking to the puppet, which is just wild. And I think a testament to this character that like it does start to feel like an actual person in the room. So basically after this session that starts to go off poorly, makes a hard pivot, and they're in business to create a show around ALF.
1: Well, and it's a pretty interesting dynamic because at the same time, Disney had caught wind that this was going on, Mm. and Disney offered to take ALF. And in an interview not too long ago, actually, Fusco was like, there's no way I'm ever going to give this to Disney. Quote, When you work for Disney, they own you lock, stock, and barrel. And I could never Mm. deal with something called Walt Disney's Alf. So he says no to Disney. Oh, interesting. But what's interesting about NBC is this was kind of a big gamble. Because in 1983 to 1984, all nine of NBC's pilots failed. Which is the first time any network coming out for their season, all their pilots, had died. Oh, wow. And so they needed something. They needed some show that was new and hot and different and unique, uh, especially to prove that they still had it to, I didn't know this, their corporate parents, General Electric.
0: That was kind of cool. So they begin production on this show, and this is not an easy show to make. (laughs) (laughs) Ben, why is this show not easy to make? Oh, my God. So I would say at
1: its core, the reason it's so hard to make is Fusco insisted that the world believe Alf was real. Right. And because of his creative vision, he wanted Alf to be very method. Like everyone on Mm. set had to address Alf. You don't talk to Paul, but you had to carve out the trenches throughout the set so that Paul could be down beneath the props and the settings and the furniture and have Alf where he needed to be with the rest of the cast.
0: The whole set is like four feet off the ground. And basically, you have this basement underneath, if you will, where they have all of these drop hatches that they can open, and Fusco and his team can bring Alf up behind the couch, over in the kitchen at the little window that passes through into the living room. All of these different locations where Alf could be, and they said it was kind of dangerous because you had all these trap doors everywhere that could be dangerous if you weren't paying attention to where you were. So a lot of the blocking of the actors is to move around... These different deadly drops, or at least very perilous drops, it's wild.
1: When I saw that after enough seasons of shooting, some of those holes in the ground got named after cast members of who had fallen into them.
0: Oh, geez. Because
1: it happened so frequently, it was awful. But yeah, a 30-minute show could take up to 25 hours to shoot because yeah. of just the, the puppet and repositioning and the staging and the blocking, uh, which is just unheard of. That's an insane time frame to shoot a 30-minute show in.
0: And Shadeen, who plays Kate the Mother, she said that basically it would take two 12-hour days to, like in some cases, to shoot a show where she's like a lot of other sitcoms they would shoot in a day. Oh my gosh. I watched some of the scenes of them shooting where it's just the camera's rolling, they do a take, they mess up. Oh, sorry, that didn't work. And then there's a little bit of waiting and they do it again. And it's like these little... Painful increments of time to put together this 30 minute episode and the number of takes, and just the puppet doesn't do something. Or there's one where there's a fog machine because Alpha's in heaven and Fusco is choking oh, and God. coughing because he's down low where all the fog is. And he's just like, I can't do it, guys. And he has to like crawl out. It feels like a nightmare. So there's just this inherent. Slowness to the production with hand-operated puppets, and again, like you said, the the demands of Fusco. He was notoriously secretive leading up to the show's premiere, and during the production, he, like you said, he refused to acknowledge that Alpha was a puppet. You couldn't call Alpha a puppet. In addition to addressing oh, him, oh no, very insulting. You cannot never a puppet. He is an alien, and everyone involved in the production were cautioned you cannot reveal the production secrets of this show and of this puppet. So you just have all of these layers, which we're gonna talk about again, that yeah. just sort of make it a really high pressure grind of this show. So I talked a lot about the production of Alf in terms of the three person team to make him work correctly. Also Fusco would wear a head mounted microphone to record Alf's voice. And for this very reason, well, all these reasons, honestly, there's no live audience on this show.
1: No, of course not.
0: It is impossible. I mean, can you imagine having people sit there for 25 hours <laughs> for two days to watch the show? Well,
1: and that would have worked because, of, of course, that would reveal Fusco's big mystery. Like, they would see the puppet get repositioned. They're like, oh, Alf. <gasps> Alf is not real.
0: I think you're absolutely right. That's probably another key reason is yeah. it does take away some of the magic to have a live audience see that. And so you have that removal of it being a show that's taped on a closed set. And then, of course, the laughter you hear is a laugh track added in post-production. To avoid wear and tear on the ALF puppet, they had a rehearsal, a cruder early version of ALF, which was nicknamed what, Ben? Ralph. Rehearsal Alien life form. Good old Ralph. That's what they use for rehearsal. but famously fusco did not like rehearsing oh yeah he was hard against it and his idea is he wanted to keep the comedy fresh he's like if you're telling the joke for the fifth sixth 20th time you don't get the spontaneity you don't get the you just the the freshness of it it doesn't feel natural and so that obviously creates even more Problems, and sometimes in the rehearsal, Fusco's not there. They have some kind of stand in, if you will, for Alf, so that the human actors can do their lines and make sure they understand their staging and all that kind of stuff. Uh, As we mentioned, there was a full body Alf suit that only shows up in the first season. You can also see it in the original show intro from seasons one and two. Notoriously, there's the shot of Alf as he sets up the camera and walks and joins the family as they're all sitting there and get their shot at the end. So this was accomplished by actor, as I mentioned earlier, Michu Mizaros, Mm -hmm. who is two feet nine inches tall. That's amazing. So Michu uh, wears the costume, but what they found was that it was too time-consuming, it was too costly to have this full-body outfit for ALF, and so they abandoned it after the first season. Mm. As I mentioned, this show is produced by Alien Productions. It ran for four seasons. They produced 99 episodes with three one-hour specials. Yeah. Which get divided later in syndication, so 102 episodes technically. This is kind of cool. I didn't realize this. Every episode of ALF is titled after or alluding to a song.
1: You know, I didn't catch on to that until I watched, like, I, I think I was four episodes into my research for this episode. I was like, wait a minute. These all sound really familiar. Like, I've definitely yeah. heard these before. It's That's cool. It's all songs.
0: It's awesome. Every single episode. So, you know, a couple examples are Strangers in the Night, Wild Thing, Help Me Rhonda, Someone to Watch Over Me, Wanted Dead or Alive, Mr. Sandman. But all 99 episodes. I think with the exception of um, the Christmas special and I think there's like a couple episodes that don't have that. But other than that, they all have a song reference, which I thought was hilarious. I thought that was pretty cool. I like that a lot. You know, ratings-wise, it does well in the first season. It's not like a massive success. It's not a friends or anything like that. Yeah. But what you see is over the course of the show, it kind of keeps tapering off, causing it to be canceled after the fourth season Uh, But it has a successful conclusion, right, Ben? It has a natural end point at the end of that fourth season, right? Like, it's only if you're making a show, this is what you hope for. That's what happened, right? The story's over. No.
1: That's not forced. That's an authentic Ben laugh. You know, even I would say Cancelled Firefly had a smoother ending to its its run than what a screeching halt, no sense, glass shattering, letdown disappointment of a finale this series had. So what happens at the end of season four? So at the end of season four, we get an episode called Consider Me Gone, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, I'll get into my own feelings about in chemistry class because I did rewatch this one for the show. But in effect, Alf receives a message on shortwave radio from two... Of his species who will be flying through his galaxy. And Alf's understanding was that Melmac was destroyed and everyone perished. And so he communicates back and forth. Uh, The family's all excited, but a little sad that Alf is leaving. And Alf basically is going to hitch a ride home with these other Melmacians. And so the ship comes. It's in a big field. No really visual special effects. It's just a, a brightly lit field with lots of fans blowing around.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: He's just about to get picked up and the alien task force
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: show up.
0: He is surrounded by all of these military guys, you know, and we see them throughout the episode. They're like, we're picking up a signal. Something's going on. Yeah. And it's
1: phenomenal acting from them. Just really out of the park. It is not ham-fisted at all. And the final line, remember, this whole series is this sort of charmingly troublesome, sarcastic, Alien, it's a sci-fi comedy. The final line of the entire series is Alf looking at all of these gentlemen around him and he goes, huh, not a sports fan among you. That's how we close, Alf.
0: Yeah, this became the unintentional series finale when NBC gave Alien Productions a verbal commitment for a fifth season, but ultimately withdrew that support. And what happens is Tartakov leaves and the new exec comes in doesn't have any interest in continuing with ALF. In fact, they were promised an episode to wrap up the cliffhanger, and that also did not happen, like a little TV (laughs) movie or something. And so basically, fans are left with this massive cliffhanger for many, many years. It does get resolved,
2: which we'll talk about in contemporary
0: (laughs) culture. But I do have this footnote. Later NBC executive Brandon Tartikoff that we talked about, he said he regretted that the network canceled ALF prematurely. He said it was a big mistake that we canceled your show because you guys had at least one or two more seasons left. I think we're going to find out the cast was probably not into that. So (laughs) ultimately for the cast's well-being, it probably worked out, but we're going to talk about that more in chemistry. That's what I have for the show proper, but there's a few spinoffs. Ben, did I miss anything critical for the show?
1: No, not that we're gonna that we can't get into chemistry. But yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm ready to talk about where else Alf shows up in the
0: world besides oh, television. Oh boy, oh boy. Well, in 1987, the show's been on for a year, first season, big success. What comes out? Alf the animated series. Oh yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Also known as Alf on Melmac. This was a Saturday morning cartoon animated series also airing on NBC that lasted a mere 26 episodes. Yeah. This series is set on ALF's home planet of Melmac. And it's kind of a prequel series produced by who, Ben? Deke is back in the game! Is this the third episode we've talked about Deke in a row? I'm starting to think there are no other animation studios in the 80s. It's just Deke. Okay, so it's been Real Ghostbusters. It's been... The Where's Waldo cartoon. Yeah. And now the ALF series.
1: Deke was crushing it back in the day. Deke Deke was doing
0: all the things. My goodness. So as I mentioned, it's a prequel series. It's set on Melmac before the planet explodes. And it focuses on ALF, his family, friends, and his girlfriend, Rhonda, and all of their various exploits. And each episode was bookended by a live action sequence involving the ALF puppet. And he's talking to the viewers. And he's kind of commenting on the episodes or setting them up at the beginning. So... Ben did you get to feast your eyes upon any episodes of this animated series? I did watch a single
1: episode.
0: Oh, okay, let me be clear. A full episode? Uh no, I did the scrubbing maneuver. We love the scrubbing maneuver, uh particularly when the shows, you know, not so great. Not the best hot takes. What do you think?
1: Uh not so great. I mean, Fusco's in it. He's still voicing Alf. It's yeah. still Alf. Yeah, yeah. And of course, since you're not bound by the physical constraints of a puppet, Alf can do a lot more running around flying spaceships because he was part of the orbital guard of the defense of Melmac in the story's lore. But um, pretty shallow. Not that interesting. I mean, if I was four, maybe
0: amazing. I think I watched 30 seconds. I kind of did the scrub jump maneuver and I was like, okay, this is enough. I'm good. I'm done. Well, you know what was not enough? an animated series spinoff. So let's do an animated series spinoff, <laughs> animated series spinoff. It's so That's much. right. Double spinoff people, they take out the animated series and spin it into ALF Tales that runs from 88 to 89. My goodness. Did you watch ALF Tales? I didn't even know about ALF Tales. I didn't find that. I didn't, but here's the concept. It features the characters from the animated series playing various characters from fairy tales. Like Cinderella. Oh, okay. And this ran for 21 episodes. Also in the 80s, we have, I didn't get an exact date on this, but late 80s, we do have a 50-issue run of ALF comics. Yeah, right. Published by Marvel.
1: Well, it's an important as we get into the physical media of ALF. Mm-hmm. So at the end of that big NBC presentation, you know, they've done the jokes, they're falling in love with ALF's personality. There was one word that was spoken by ALF's creators in that that sealed the deal at NBC. Oh. And that word was merchandising.
0: Oh, merchandising. merchandising. We're not going to be able to even touch the the <laughs> tip of the iceberg no. of all of the merchandising, commercials, just say, promotions. watch out, Garfield.
1: Watch out, Garfield. Alf is coming for you. Yeah. I won't get into the stuff, but I'll at least just give you the takeaway stat. In that in 1987, Alf Merchandise earned well over $250 million dollars. And $85 million of that were just plush ALF dolls.
0: Oh, man.
1: His big claim to fame in that year was that the ALF poster outsold Bon Jovi posters.
0: Move aside Bon Jovi, move aside Teddy Ruxpin, you have nothing on these ALF plushy dolls.
1: Which is great. I love that you made a quick Teddy Ruxpin reference because I just want to say he won a lot of rewards. But when critics first saw the pilot of ALF... One critic quoted that Alf looks like a Teddy Ruxpin bear that looks like he was horribly disfigured by a revolving door.
0: Oh, (laughs) jeez. Harsh, harsh (laughs) words from the critic is out of the gate. That was not a glowing review from that critic. But isolated, isolated. Okay, that's what I have for the 80s and for history class. I know we're going to have tons to talk about in chemistry, but Ben, is there anything else we missed?
1: No, I'm excited to talk about uh, more working under stage how Alf appeared elsewhere in the world but i think that's mm. more in chemistry not so much history i think we've covered the uh encyclopedia de
0: Melmacian. okay well i'm glad you mentioned the holes in the floor because i want us to drop down in this hatch right here and see if we can't pop back up in chemistry class
1: <laughs> let's see if it happens
0: Okay, we we did end up popping up in a couple of other classes. It was a little unnerving. We jumped up in gym class. We scared some people who were playing dodgeball, but we got out of there and came back. I almost got hit in the face, but thankfully I I ducked real quick.
1: I I picked up uh, some snacks and a little nap uh, because I don't know if you saw this. In the trenches on the set of ALF, they actually had cots and mini fridges because the puppeteers would be down there for 20 hours and they needed to eat and sleep. So I saw some of those on the way.
0: Man, did you grab me anything? Did you get me the little uh, Twinkie or something? Well,
1: I went back and referred to your Sweet Treats episode, and boy, do I have all your favorites right here in my backpack.
0: Black licorice. Oh, yeah. Black <laughs> licorice. My favorite. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, to kick off with chemistry class, of course, this is where we're going to talk about our memories, our experiences, as well as our listeners and some other feelings about this show yes. that we want to talk about in this class. So, Ben, kick us off. What was your experience as a wee lad, as a (laughs) a wee little Benjamin experiencing this show? Tell us all about it.
1: Just a wee lad. You know, I tore my home apart in preparation for this episode. And usually I come out on top for this sort of thing, but I failed. It broke my heart. Oh, okay. Because I don't know if you saw this, but in 1988, NBC struck a deal with Burger King to have Alf hand puppets, and they didn't automatically right. come with the um, the kids' meal. You had to like I think it was a buck ninety nine, and you could get one okay. of like six or seven Alf puppets. Okay, and I had the baseball player Alf puppet.
2: Oh, so it has a little
1: red shiny shirt, little red hat.
0: The bouleia baseball, <laughs> I believe, this the, <laughs> the sport Boulia is bouleia baseball. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Yes, I had that, and not only did I have that as a kid, but I know that I had that like in my one rubber-made nostalgia box that i drag around from everywhere i move um and i couldn't find it but man i oh, played man. with that puppet i can picture where it sat in different houses growing up
0: could it have become a dog chew toy oh i would be heartbroken if that were the <laughs> truth <laughs> poor alf stuffing removed <laughs> yes
1: so I have that and I I was wee lad and maybe maybe a hair young but a little over home plate. I was close to Alf's target demographic mm-hmm. because, you know, they talked about – there was sort of two – I, I like sort of two metaphors for Alf that he was like. One I really liked is they the, – the producers described him like Sophia on The Golden Girls. Oh, That Alf yeah. would just make these comments and not to be mean or not to cut at people but just because – He didn't understand how things were working currently. Yeah. But also that he was sort of like a child. And that's why kids connected to him because he was this kid in this adult world and like adult normal ways that society worked didn't make any sense. So he would, that's why he would make mistakes or mess up or make astute observations of how silly it is we do these things. And that's your life as a kid, right? You're trying to figure out how the world works and things don't seem to make sense or overly complicated. Right. And I remember thinking Alf was hilarious, that I was like, Alf gets it. Adults make no sense. Thanks, Alf, for saying what I'm feeling. This is great. Yeah, I liked Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Now, this goes back to when you were living in a laundry facility, right? So you connected with us on a lot of levels.
0: That's true. Yeah, I I also crashed into someone's garage and they just adopted me. So that's my origin story. No, so I, I remember watching this show as a kid when it would come on and it I don't even know what their time slot was, but whatever that was, I remember watching it on television week by week when it came out. You know, I don't have like a specific memory about the show per se. I just have these little pieces. I will say this much. When I did my rewatch, the opening sequence, the original opening sequence where Alf is taking the camera around and he's surprising each of the characters, that every single segment of that... Boom, boom, boom. It all clicked in. I had a firm memory of... Every single person's reaction, like when Brian hugs him, and then Kate's like in the shower and she's yelling at him and pointing at him like get out of here. And Willie's trying to take the camera from him and he's like fighting to grab the camera. And Lynn's talking on the phone in the closet, which is such an eighties oh, thing, for right? Sure, for sure. You needed privacy. You had a corded phone. You knew how far you could get in the house. You talk in the closet, and you don't hear her because of the music, but you know you can read her lips where she's like, "Oh, if I'm on the telephone," like all of that boom, boom, boom. Nostalgia just all landed so well. That's awesome. A few other things. I always remember how Willie would be so frustrated with Alf. I just remember his frustration, his almost vaudevillian. Oh my God, (laughs) that poor guy. Yeah, this poor guy. And then I remember that Alf had a girlfriend named Rhonda. For some reason, the name Rhonda kind of stuck out. I think just because it was such a you know, in the 80s, it was an antiquated name. It's like, It feels like a very 50s, 60s name. But that also stuck out to me. So those are kind of the things that I could dig deep of from my memory about this show.
1: No, that's awesome. And I'm glad you brought up Rhonda. That was one of... So in, in preparation for the show, I scrubbed an animated episode. And I watched what I could find were the top 10, what are, what are said is the best episodes of all time. Mm. And I watched the worst one, the number one worst rated episode... And I, tr- I was almost going to watch this, the second worst, but it was almost an hour long. It was one of the Christmas specials. And I was like, I think I've had enough Elf
0: by now. I can't watch it. More. But
1: one of the ones I loved was Rhonda, was meeting Rhonda. I thought that was actually a pretty good episode. I like that story arc. That was neat.
0: Well, before we get a little deeper, we should find out what our class of 80s high classmates felt about this show. What were their memories? And one classmate said, you know, I never watched it, but I seem to remember he had a thing about eating cats. Ding, ding, ding. That is correct. That's also something I remembered. I didn't mention that earlier. Cats. You know, I would argue
1: that's probably one of the biggest pop cultural influences of ALF is just the joke Mm. about eating cats. Which actually, Fusco, um, roughly like a decade ago, said in an interview, they did that solely because they wanted to make a lot of jokes and puns about Alf eating cats. And most of Mm. the jokes they came up with could never leave the writing room because it would no longer be a kid's show. Fair. They got a lot of entertainment about the writers. But yeah, that's the eating cats thing.
0: Monumental. What else did our classmates say?
1: Uh, Another classmate said, I always loved how witty Alf was and how quickly he came up with responses and just his overall quirkiness. Yeah. and And that's part of his charm, right? I mean, again... As a kid, you don't understand this, but as a writer and actor, you get to do with all the timing of the wittiness and the retorts. Right. But right, like he, they built him up. I think as a child, again, you observe something that's strange in the adult world and you're processing it all day. And maybe you're laying in bed at night and you're like, wait a minute, what the heck was that? But Alpha immediately was like on it. Mm-hmm. Come on, people. That's cool. Yeah. He's
0: confident. He had the best lines in the show. That's what oh. everyone feels, especially his, his co-stars. Yeah, can of worms. And another classmate said, collecting the Alf boolia baseball cards, which tops created a line of these ALF trading cards. So in addition to baseball, in addition to those Garbage Pail Kids that we talked about several episodes yeah. ago, they also made some ALF cards, and one of them was this Boolia Baseball, which I never got the reference in the show. I didn't watch an episode with it. Yeah, I, d- I never heard him mention it, but clearly it's something he had said, and it's part of the, the lore of the character that on Melmac, they play boolea Baseball. Absolutely. Someone else
2: said,
1: uh, this show was one of my favorite childhood memories, the interactions between Alf and Willie, how quick Alf was to provide a comeback, another ring of that. It was just overall funny show and a very positive experience watching it. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly.
0: So thanks, classmates, for sharing that. I wanted to talk just to get the highlights of our rewatch. How many episodes would you say you watched? You you said you went by the top 10, bottom 10 list. Yeah. How many in total would you say? In
1: total, I watched 11 episodes in preparation for this 80s high episode. Okay. Did you feast the whole thing? Did
0: you watch all no. ALF media? I did not count, but I want to say I probably ended up watching somewhere between 30 and 40 episodes. Did you really? Now, to be fair, some of them I was doing something else while they were on. So I wasn't like a captive audience. That's very good. But impressive. I was within earshot the whole time and kind of pulling it in. And I wanted to make sure I got it from each season. Although I feel like I, I ended up watching a lot of the first season. Uh, and obviously I wanted to see the pilot, the first right. episode. Yeah, and I wanted course. to see the finale. And I caught a lot of the season finales as well. I kind of wanted to see what was the end cap per season. So I can't remember all the ones that I watched, but right now they're only available, as far as I can tell, on Roku channel, which is not a channel I ever <laughs> No, never think thought to watch. I would be needing. Right? But that's kind of where it is right now. It used to be on Amazon. It's gone. We're going to talk about why, but oh. that's for contemporary culture. Oh, okay. So I did end up watching that Christmas episode. There's you also watched a- it. Oh my God. I watched... Two thirds of it? You scrubbed it. It was playing. It was on in the background. And even as like a a listening, but doing something else, it was rough. So even mildly paid attention, it was kind of a a, a drag of an episode. And I just, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to move along. There's a Thanksgiving two-parter episode. I watched that one. And as I mentioned, I did a a quick rewatch of that cartoon. And I watched the trailer for Project ALF. That's so all I'm going to say. We're that's all I could do come to Come back to that in I contemporary know, that's culture. All I, too. I also ended up watching a lot of behind the scenes videos of them just shooting. I wanted to see what those conditions were like and what the process looked like. And I saw two interviews with Paul Fusco. I tried to take in a lot. And part yeah. of it was, was I wanted to reconstruct everything that was going on on this show because it's different than your typical sitcom, of course. There's a lot going on, but we also know a lot of people. Making this show, yeah, freaking struggled with it. Oh my god! And so I wanted to just peer behind the curtain a little bit. I wanted to to peek into the, the little four foot underneath stage <laughs> and see what I could see behind the scenes. And so that's what I have. Um, did you have any overall thoughts about the show, the characters, the plot, anything like that?
1: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about rewatching because I didn't really remember it again when we when you came up with the topic, which I was excited about. I remembered Burger King, I remembered eating cats, like that's what I remembered about.
0: <laughs> and so rewatching all food connections,
1: yeah, exactly. In rewatching it, I admit there are some laugh out loud moments. I admit that Alf the puppet is impressive as like a work of art. Yeah. as the model
0: moves and how it emotes, it is impressive. It's cool. Also knowing three different people yeah, were operating that. it. Like imagine if you're controlling the left hand and someone else the right hand and coordinating that while you're also doing the voice oh my and God. someone off camera is like doing all the radio controls for the eyes and the, yeah, it's impressive. I mean, to
1: go back and watch that and know that Fusco didn't want to practice much. He didn't like rehearsing. You know, right. think of when you ask a question, everything you do, your eyebrows go up, maybe you smirk your mouth, your hands turn over, you know, palms upward, and all those different people made ALF do that in a split second, which is really amazing.
0: Yeah, for me, I talked about that title sequence. I really love the original one. Did you watch from seasons three and four, the second intro they did? Um, it's really cheesy. The second one has like 80s, sax, it's oh, scenes no. from the show. And it's all of the characters are watching this tape that Alf created. Oh, no, I missed that. But it's all of them laughing and smiling and pointing as the credits are rolling. And they're, it's just this over oh, 80s-tastic, cheesy sitcom oh, no. thing. And what I loved about the original is it just felt very lived in right alf has the camera he's catching people off guard and recording them and there's something kind of charming about it and the second one again i cannot overstate how awful the cheesy 80s saxophone is and just all of their like knees slapping belly laughing pointing (laughs) and oh my goodness reactions to all of this stuff they're seeing just keep the original
1: you know it's funny you say that too because uh the theme song for alf So I've got this game, I think you've gotten to play it once, where I have a playlist on my iPhone of probably like 100 TV theme songs from the 80s and 90s. And on a long road trip with friends, if you have a car full of people, it's even better. But you play it, and whoever can guess the show the fastest gets a point. Yeah. In the 15 years I've played this game on road trips with people, nobody ever gets ALF. Really? There's something that just feels not as iconic I think, and it seems like to the other people i have played in the car with to that, where like you know other theme songs, I don't know. Growing pains.
0: Thank you. Who's the boss? Thank you. Yeah,
1: they hit, but for some reason, there's just something that not. It's kind. Of, it's not a bad theme song. It's a little catchy, but there's something that it's not an earworm that really gets in your head.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's about the music so much as the visuals mm, on the title sequence. Yeah, but maybe. what other overall thoughts or reactions did you have? Yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> I forgot that his catchphrase was "Ha." Oh, I kill me. I kill me. He says that all the time. Which is kind of funny. And again, another connection with kids, right? Kids always think they're hilarious. Right. I would say two big takeaways I found challenging watching the show again. One of the hardest things I think in comedy, for especially a TV show, are cold openers. Mm. Those like 30 seconds before the credits roll and then they get into the real plot of the show. Yeah. And man, I think Alf was terrible at cold openers.
0: Uh, Okay. Each
1: one, I just... Never funny. And when I think of shows like Letterkenny or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you know, more recently, who just crush cold openers.
2: Oh,
0: The Office. The Office The Office has amazing, amazing cold openers. And even like, you know,
1: the most legendary comedy show of all time, SNL, is hit or miss on cold openers. Sometimes funny,
0: sometimes not. And ALF's cold openers, all the ones I watched, not funny. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Thought on your end of the mic. You know, I forgot a couple things. I forgot his planet blew up. So early. For some reason, I thought he crash landed and didn't realize his planet had exploded. When he like figures out later? Yeah, I thought he figured out later. He knows when he lands that his planet blew up. And when I teased the topic in our last episode, I even flubbed it a little bit where I'm talking about how he wants to get back to his home planet. No, he doesn't. He knows it's gone. (laughs) He doesn't want to kind of reconnect with anyone who may have survived. But it's not his main motivation. It's kind of like, I crash landed. I don't have a home. Yeah. This is my home now. He's like the unwanted house guest who has nowhere to go. I live here now. Please don't make me go. And I didn't realize that there were so many other people who had met Alf. So we mentioned Jake Akmanek. Which, can I just hit Jake real fast? Can I just hit a note with Please. you Jake? Oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah, Jake yeah. Jake is
1: my favorite person in the entire show.
0: Of least of oh, the he's 11 great. episodes
1: I watched. He delivers some of the best acting I think of anybody on that set. And there's this episode where, like, they finally invite his mom over for dinner, but it turns out she's oh, yeah. a kleptomaniac
2: yes. and steals
1: stuff. And the two of them have this confrontation in the room. And it's the best acting I'd watched in any episode. Like,
0: it's good.
1: Jake is great.
0: Yeah, that actor did a great job. I, I think he's probably one of the most enjoyable. I, I mean, of the children, Len and Brian. They're not great. They're not terrible. They're just kind of there. But Jake just had this, like, life and personality that almost rivaled Alf in some way. Yeah. Like, he almost kind of was a a, a good foil, whereas, like, Willie always gets upset, you know. Alf, what do you mean you put the cat in the toaster oven? I can't believe it. This is a pretty good Willie. I'm very impressed. Why did you do that? That's Willie in every episode. But Jake was, like, He's also a smart mouth too, right? So he kind of had a give and take that I thought was great. But he and Alf, I think for the most part, really got along. Maybe they were just twin souls yeah, or something like that. Wait. I don't quite know. No, I liked them. There's several episodes where Jody, she's a woman who's blind. I think the first episode she's introduced, Alf wants to move out and find a roommate. And so he can move in with this woman because she realizes he's short and hairy, but she never actually through the entire show learns that oh he's an alien. No. And I mentioned Kate's mom, they had this really kind of tumultuous relationship. And I just watched an episode where Wizzer, her husband Yes stumbles onto alf and meets him and so there's just a lot of these different people who get to know alf that i have totally forgotten about for some reason i thought it was just the family
1: so speaking of characters i only have two other sort of like observations before we get into the big uh, one of the big chewy topics of chemistry
0: sure yeah yeah yeah
1: the real quick one is just i hated the series finale that's what was ranked as the worst episode of alf ever really it's just super rushed It happens
0: so quickly. Again, we should not refer to it as a series finale. It's an unintentional Unintentional finale. Unintentional series finale. And and I want to be clear about that because it's meant to be a two-parter. That's true. And I think if you look at it in that context as a cliffhanger that's supposed to be resolved in the next episode, you have to kind of take it with that in mind.
1: Maybe. I just found, you know, we kind of joked about it. The military performances are
0: horrific they are like mustache twirling villainous right. like hey i found this radio signal and they're in this like really cheesy like norad control sort of base room. yeah and just yeah they're all over the top ridiculous
1: yeah and i don't know they just the writing in it felt so lazy like how he was going to leave and and His excitement Mm. about it and the drama that could have happened around the family that they didn't take advantage of. You know, there's no shot of a ship. It's a bunch of industrial fans blowing in a grassy field with some SUVs pulling up. Like, oof, I really did not like that episode. Mm. My sort of big feedback on Elf is like, I just didn't believe the family. And I have a much smaller sample size than you. I only watched 11 episodes. But I just didn't believe that they were a family. Like, I didn't feel the chemistry... Between the kids and the parents. I didn't feel love or more interesting dynamics between the parents. Like, I just didn't believe them. That they were a family no that's a good point
0: like i think everyone plays off of alf but off of right. each other almost not as much yeah and i don't know if that's the result of the actors or the writing or the fact that again everything was sort of in relation to alf there's very few scenes where there's characters doing something without and alf. alf isn't there right and so you're right that's a that's a good observation it's not that they have terrible chemistry but they do it feels a little
2: hmm.
1: It's sort of like the Bechtel test for ALF. Can you have a scene with ALF actors not talking about ALF? Is that a thing? Can you do it? Is it possible? I don't think so.
0: The ALF Bechtel test. My goodness. (laughs) Oh, that's great. The one thing I do want to mention, Ralph, rehearsal ALF, does appear in a season three episode. Does he really? So there's one where ALF is looking through like an Enquirer, National Enquirer type magazine, and it talks about an alien landing. So he goes in search of this woman because he thinks it's his cousin, Blinky, who's come down to earth. And what he ends up finding out is the woman is just, it's a sham. She's just like a like a snake oil salesman. Like she's just blowing smoke, right? And so Willie picks him up and they're driving back and they're having this conversation. Alf kind of looks almost daydreamingly out the window and he thinks he sees Blinky in the car driving by and Blinky kind of looks over and it passes on. That puppet is the Ralph puppet. Oh. Like they actually used it to be the cousin Look, Blinky. Look, Ralph, you made it. We need to kind of get into the juicy bits because we've talked about our reactions. We've talked about our listeners' reactions. But there are some reactions, really important people. And that is all of the people who made this show. Yeah, yeah. High level, Ben, how would you describe their thoughts about ALF?
1: You know, they always say you don't want to see how the sausage is made. Mm. And you really don't want to see behind the scenes on ALF. You pull back the curtain. I think you're going to lose the magic. Max Wright said it best was that he was, quote, hugely eager to have Alf over with. Mm. I think that's how most of the cast felt about the show.
0: Yeah, he he said the work was very grim. And Anne Shadeen had said that there's very little joy on the set. It was tedious, extremely slow, and it was a technical nightmare. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, we're we're largely going to be referencing a People magazine interview from 2000. I couldn't find the article. I saw a lot of recaps. Yeah. That's where a lot of this comes from, where they're talking with pretty much everyone involved in the show, at least the principal actors and, of course, Fusco. Right.
1: And this is – so this is 22 years ago. It's one interviewer with this cast. So, like, things – you know, we all have different phases in our life. Maybe they feel differently. Maybe that was a hot time right there. Who knows?
0: I have saw a few other interviews. I watched an interview with Anne Shadeen. Max Wright has unfortunately passed away. And I yeah. don't think he's done a lot of other interviews about the show. Anyway, so what were some other feelings about the show from the actors?
1: I want to start with Max because we end up asking the class of 80s high about Max. So Max stated, and you referenced this earlier in history, that he not, not disliked, not hated despised supporting a technically demanding inanimate object that received mm. most of the good lines of dialogue. Yeah. And I got to admit, I agree. In the 11 episodes I watch, besides Jake, Alf gets everything that's funny or poignant or interesting. Really once in a while delivers some like fatherly wisdom that's like not so bad. But yeah, right. Alf gets all the good stuff and we're all waiting 25 hours under the hot lights of a set to move Alf around. Max hated it. It's one thing to feel an emotion, but it's another thing to do something about it. So we asked the class of 80s high, which one of the following altercations was true? So we gave five options here. Wright sued Fusco for emotional damage, of which Fusco settled out of court. After the sometimes 25-hour shooting for each episode wrapped, Wright would storm off set and drive straight home, not saying goodbye to anyone on his way out. Wright intentionally lit the practice Ralph puppet on fire. Damage was so bad it could not be used any further. Oh, jeez. Wright physically attacked Alf while shooting so badly that crew had to pull him off the puppet. Mm -hmm. And lastly, this question is a red herring. Wright and Fusco got along just fine. (laughs) Fortunately, no one (laughs) fell for the trap because they knew that Wright and Fusco hated each other. Yeah. So we got the most votes for Wright storming off the stage after some Yeah. And while that wasn't regularly true, that was actually true for the series finale. That the minute they said cut, that's a wrap, he said nothing to anyone, walked right out, and never came back.
0: Disappeared. Uh, but what's the true story? The the true story is that he physically attacked the puppet. Yeah. And the producers had to pull him off. <laughs> it's- That's wild. That is wild. I would give money to see if there's any tape of that altercation. Oh my God. Which I'm sure it hasn't been shared or was otherwise destroyed or locked away. But yeah, this is the point where I wanted to do a deeper dive and not just look at all of these articles, which were all quoting the same thing. Yeah, right. And sometimes what happens is one news source says a thing, and then everybody picks up on it and repeats the thing. And it's not a lie, but it's inaccurate. Mm. And then that just keeps being The telephone echoed. game just keeps getting passed it's the on. the game of telephone. Urban legends. And so I wanted to go to more source material to be like, could I see any glimpse of this? Because what I immediately was starting to think of is this is like Dan Harmon and Chevy Chase on this set of Community. Oh. Notoriously, those two were very confrontational with each other. I mean, Chevy Chase has earned a reputation of being just a son of a... Gun, I want to say many other words. He's just a, an a hole. Like everyone says it, he's just super difficult to work with. But also, Harmon is kind of hard to get along with, too. Yeah. And there would be all of these on set fights. I think Roseanne, same thing, like Tom Arnold yeah. and Roseanne would get in these like epic fights. And everyone's just kind of sitting in this nasty atmosphere. I was like, is that what was going on here? And I have to tell you, I didn't see that. Mm, yeah. I didn't see that kind of confrontation, but clearly I believe everyone who talks about this terrible experience they had. What I said about Anne Shadeen, like she she actually remembers that final episode where Max Wright just kind of storms off and doesn't say goodbye. She also said that some of her adult co-stars had difficult personalities the whole thing was a big dysfunctional family. Yeah. And she said it's astonishing that Alf really was wonderful and that word never got out about what a mess the set really was. My thing is she says some of the adults had difficult personalities. Just two people that could be about. Right. Is she talking about Max? Is she talking about Paul? I don't know. And she never really clarifies even in later. I saw a more recent interview with her. And she didn't clarify anything more. Uh, What about Andrea Elson, who played Lynn, the daughter? Yeah,
1: so she, in that interview, also had a quote that, and unfortunately, during season two, she was suffering from bulimia. Uh, And I didn't really dig into that much further, but we know showbiz is stressful, wild, and crazy, and not always necessarily the healthiest environment. But um, she said that if Alf had gone on for another year, everybody would have lost it. Yeah. Just having dipped my toe into the theatrical world for a little bit, even if you love the people you're working with, you're under hot stage lights, you're yep. hungry, you're physically tired, even for a show you love. Because of the demands Fusco put on this, that they're doing 25 hours, 20, 25 hours, I mean, what a powder keg of stress
0: yeah. shooting this show. I think he did demand some perfection in the performance yeah. and getting everything right. And also, we've just talked about the, the mind-numbing technicality that goes into all of this and if one little thing doesn't work you got to reset the whole thing and yeah. start back from here and la, la, la that gets really challenging you know andrea said that she remembered tension on the set and she said it was largely due to the cast being stressed by having to play second fiddle to a puppet which you mentioned earlier yeah. so she had kind of commented on that as well but she did say she finally found some peace in 1997 when she became pregnant. And I think oh, probably just, you know, good. the experience of expected motherhood and just kind of coming to terms with who she was. And so that was, of course, great to hear. And I think she's a yoga instructor uh, to this day. Oh, so good. that's healthy. You know, fitness obviously being a core to what she does. Benji Gregory, I couldn't find a lot from him. He plays Brian Tanner, the son. He, he just remembers like feeling like it was really hard work when the lights were on and it was really hot. So a lot of yeah. people are talking about just right? like oppressive heat of this set. Right. I couldn't find a whole lot more from him. He hasn't done a lot of interviews. He ends up moving away from Hollywood. He has no desire to be an actor. I did find this Swedish TV One interview from 1991. Wow, deep, deep Where He said, deep hole, but he said it got boring playing the same character for four years and that he didn't miss the show. So (laughs) even to the youngest person who are sometimes spared a lot of the hectic nasty adult level kind of stuff going on he maybe didn't experience that but clearly he was just like yeah it was boring playing the same character but probably to your point they didn't get to do a whole lot yeah they didn't get a real meaty role a lot of the the meatiness did go to fusco and the alf character
1: i've got a fusco comment but is that where you were going you've got, you've got that
0: next before Fusco, I just want to say one thing. John Lamada, who played Trevor Akmonic, did you see what he said? No, what did he say? So Akmonic, of course, is the neighbor, the nosy neighbor. He told TMZ he hated the show. I thought the show Alf was a piece of shh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the worst work I ever did. Oh my gosh, that's harsh. So the most scathing review comes from John Lamada, who played Trevor. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about what Fusco said, because... This is where I wanted to see, again, as the creator, as the – well, the creator of all the things, right? The show, the puppet, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to see what his thoughts were. Did he talk about having any tensions with the other characters? So what did Fusco say?
1: So it's interesting. My my interpretation, but I want to hear your interpretation, is that he sort of just dismisses it. And so two years after this People Magazine article comes out, he's quoted in reference to the tension saying, it was just the nature of the beast. There was no Mm -hmm. way – We could have made it go any further or any faster, he insisted. Mm -hmm. I think it was frustrating that it would take so long, but people got paid for what they did. Despite what people thought, that there was a lot of tension on set, there really wasn't. Uh, What do you think of that? Well, it seems like
0: his co-workers would disagree. Uh, I think it's pretty clear. I don't doubt that this is his perception of it, but I think it's pretty clear to see. You know, what I could tell from what I saw from the behind the scenes. And again, these are just a few clips. Yeah, right. So whatever 102 times 24 hours is. Oh my god. It's crazy. (laughs) I don't have all the raw footage, of course. But what I saw was obviously the technicality, being very frustrated. But like the actors were laughing. Yeah, They were talking to each other and getting along. I'm not, again, I'm not discounting there's tension, but I expected to see more nasty interactions between The actors, and I didn't see that, especially with Max Wright, because I think he had the worst relationship of everybody. Yeah. And, you know, he's this, like, stage, classically trained kind of an actor. He's a stage performer, and so he had to have viewed this at some level as schlock, especially if he has to be the one, like, he plays a good foil, but that's exactly what Fusco says. He says he credits Max Wright of having a hard job, he had to play the straight man, and he praised his work for being that comedic foil for Alf. So, yeah. Whether he's trying to cover it up or he just didn't experience it because of maybe the position that was he was in, he has a very different memory of oh making the yeah. show than everybody else does.
1: I think on the last episode, I ended up giving some unsolicited business advice, which is what people come to 80s high for, is to really Always. get good career advice is what we do.
0: That's our second column. So first we're <laughs> in entertainment. What is it? arts and culture, and then we're business advice. So go for it.
1: But if Fusco is is the center of this universe, of the ALF production, I would almost see him, in a way, as the boss, as the manager on the set. Certainly. If you're a young, new hire out there, and your boss ever says either of these phrases, it's time to quit that same day. If your boss says, there's no way we can do this better... It's time to leave. You have an uncreative, unintelligent boss. There are always ways you can do things better. And if your boss ever says, you're getting paid, aren't you? If you raise a serious concern and your boss says, well, you're getting paid for this. That's a bad boss. It's time to go.
0: I take your points. I think what he's trying to say about the further faster is that it's the nature of the beast. It's slow and tedious, I think is really what he's getting at. Fusco, of course, seems to be a perfectionist of himself and of his puppet and his character and of the process of making the show, I also see him as the entertainer. Yeah. And so in between takes, he's trying to entertain the fellow cast, the crew, everybody who's there to, I think, break the tedium. What I think happens is some of his jokes don't land very well. (laughs) Right. I think some of them are in poor taste. And I think some people may just not appreciate the jokey nature. And so what it felt like to me is you just have these at-odds personalities, and then you have somebody who's trying to lighten the tension and may not always be hitting the mark. Right. That's the best I could come up with other than Max Wright choking the puppet. I didn't see any, like, (laughs) real altercations. It just felt like, I don't know, it's so hard to explain. And, And I wanted to find something so I could, like, put my finger on it and say like, aha, this is what it is. Yeah. I just couldn't get to the full nature of it, but that's what I I witnessed. And, you know, we should just say, we don't want to talk too much about this, but there is some behind the scenes footage out there that is not super great. And let's just jump to the end, does not age well at all. (laughs) No. The gist of it is there's some cussing. There's some language, which normally I don't mind, but there's one particular instance where in reference to a, is it Law & Order episode? Is yeah. that what it was? Yeah. A character on the Law & Order episode who has Tourette's and ends up in this episode using a very profane word. And then in between takes of this episode of ALF, Fusco is referencing this character from Law & Order, but ends up saying the N-word like several times.
1: Yeah, it's from a, a behind-the-scenes clip that came out in 2010 while they're shooting that scene. And I think, I think what's important to layer on to that is it's a monumental achievement in such a short amount of time to insult three different groups all at once. Oh, yes. So Fusco stereotypes people who have Tourette's as always yelling profanities, which is a childlike joke, which is not true of the condition. Right. He yells the N-word three times, and yeah. then he offers actress Andrea Elson to come jump in bed with him which the character is 16, and I did have to do the math. She had fortunately just turned 18, at least legally an adult. But still, all that happens in the matter of about 10 seconds that he hits all three buckets, which is
0: unfortunate. And I've seen some other references where he's maybe made some, like, sexual innuendo to Anne Shadeen, who plays the mom. And so that's the kind of stuff that I think he's trying really hard to entertain everybody, but it's just not the right kind of jokes, and it's not the right way to do it and i was trying to see what are the reactions of the cast members were yeah. they in on this joke and i didn't get a sense that they were even if there's laughter sometimes laughter is nervous laughter you're just trying to diffuse a situation and that's the kind of stuff that unfortunately yeah it just doesn't sit well and it, it gives yeah. you this icky feeling and you're like i don't like this yeah we, we got do it ralph
1: uh, he was notorious to look up actresses and cast dresses during filming of as This joke, they tried to show a shocked face of what he saw. Right. Um, which again, I think is your point, is trying to, you know, the the joke, the attempt was to lighten the mood on set. But again, this is sort of a don't meet your heroes, don't see how the sausage is made sort of thing.
0: Yeah, so that's, I have to think a lot of that kind of sophomoric nastiness is at the center of some of this tension on set yeah if you've ever worked with somebody who has made off-color jokes and then they come around and they go to say something and you're almost anticipating it and you cringe in anticipation that they may or may not say something that's not a good atmosphere to work in no no (laughs) i've been in those atmospheres i've had a conversation very recently with somebody on an airplane and she kept talking and the more she talked the more i like Folded into myself, cringing that she was going to say something profoundly inappropriate. Oh, no. It's not fun. So doing that for 12 hours a day to make all of these shows. There's 26 episodes a season in this show. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Now,
1: we're not total fun police. There were some bad influences of Alf that now, in retrospect, I think are kind of funny. Yeah. Can we
0: talk about the two of the censorship Please do. Yeah, things well, that what happened? What are some of the fun things?
1: So in the very first episode in pilot, Alf is seen drinking a beer. Yeah. With Brian, actually, the little, the little kid. I think Brian has
0: one. He doesn't oh, right. drink he's, it, yeah, though, right? Yeah, he's just holding yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. the network sensors go nuts, and they're like, come on, kids love Alf. He can't be drinking a beer. I do have to agree with Fusco on this. Fusco was like, yo, Alf is 285 years old. He could drink right. a beer.
0: Right, right, right.
1: They had to pull that. They couldn't do alcohol consumption with Alf anymore. And in the season one episode, Try to Remember?, Alf tries to simulate having a jacuzzi in the house by putting Kate's electric mixer into a bathtub. And there's, like, this electrical shock and everything. I know I feel like I've been a bit negative on Fusco in this episode, but he ends it with a PSA saying, like, hey, kids, don't do this at home. This is super dangerous. Right. And unfortunately, a kid tried to do it and nearly electrocuted himself. And so uh, they had to refilm that whole thing. And as no surprise to anyone, there were some reports of kids trying to put cats in microwaves as Alf
0: had done on the show, which was really problematic. I don't know that Fusco saw this as a kid's show, and it ended up appealing... Alf, the character, ends up appealing to kids so much, and kids obviously have a very naive sensibility. You know, this is always that balance of like, gosh, do we have to warn people about everything? But when you actually see kids trying to do the things... That the character was doing you do have to say, like, okay, do we have a responsibility here? So I, I kinda get it.
1: I didn't even realize that. And I think you just hit the nail on the head that like and I think that's a part of one of the issues here that we're talking through Alf, is I think in Fusco's head, Alf was always an adult comedy. Yeah. You know, especially with how his behavior was on set. Although he did make a wish calls to like hospitals to kids and stuff,
2: right, it sounds right. like he
1: failed to accept what was actually happening that it was really a kid's show, that kids loved Alf, and that that was really important to take that into consideration.
0: It's almost like he belongs on a stage with Alf, so Alf can be this raunchy puppet that says all these outlandish, crazy things. Because again, you you hear about all of these dirty jokes that they told in the writer's room that couldn't make it on this family-friendly network show. Does this belong in a comedy club? Is this really (laughs) where this character fares best because that's just... Fusco's sense of humor, like it or not, in a comedy club, the people who like it are going to go see him. The people who don't don't. I mean, that's the nature of stand-up comedy. I don't know.
1: I love you said comedy club. I would have loved to see him on stage with, like, Rodney Dangerfield. I feel like their banter would have been
0: legendary. Like the snappy comebacks and one-liners.
1: Hey, I'm playing second fiddle to a puppet here. What's going on? Hey, Hey, I'm talking to a rug. Yeah, (laughs)
0: shag carpet to my right over here can someone get him a drink one of the things i thought was really interesting that fosco talked about is he's like i would try to think of these jokes and i couldn't do it but the minute i started talking like alf the jokes would come to me oh interesting and i think there's a lot of performers who do characters have this experience where it's like when you get into the character's persona things come to your mind that don't come to your like regular mind. Like if I, Chris, am thinking about something, I might not have a joke, but I, if I had this character and I kind of slip into it, oh, your mind starts working differently. And I think for people who don't perform or act, that seems really odd and foreign and doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think yeah. for anybody who has that kind of performance background or interest or whatever, you kind of get that. Like, yeah, I totally know what you mean. I've had uh, that experience before. That's
1: a really good point. You know, I want to go back to your comedy club thing, because I was going to say this in history, but, you know, we talked a lot of history, so I was going to throw it in chemistry. But speaking of stages that Alf did or did not appear on, I thought it was just sort of interesting, the opportunities that Fusco had, and what he did accept, and what he turned down, because of how he liked his style of craft. So we mentioned SNL. SNL invited Fusco to have Alf as the host. How amazing in the 80s would it be if Alf hosted it was in Sketches on Saturday Night Live? But... Fusco's like, "No, nah, the in-studio audience will see me, and they'll know Alf is yeah. a puppet. So he said no to
0: SNL. Really dedicated to his uh, craft there. He turned down a lot of promotions, too. And we, I can't remember what they were. Budweiser wanted him, and he was Budweiser, like, oh that's what it was. They were retiring Spud McKenzie, and they mm-hmm. were like, oh, Alf. And he's like, yeah, no. Yeah, no. Despite the early beer reference in the pilot, I think by that point, he knew what Alf was in his appeal, and he's like, I'm not going to have Alf promoting beer. Well,
1: yeah. Well, here's one that blew my mind. The most legendary name in puppetry, Jim Henson, invited him to be a part of the John Denver Christmas special, which was like a huge, like, where all the properties came together. There's the other Muppet Christmas special where, like, they find the Fraggles. So the Fraggles and the Muppets are together and even, like, Sesame Street gets involved. So they mix everybody together. And Fusco said, no, because I don't want anyone to think that Alf is a Muppet. Yeah. Bannock said that Fusco's worst fear was that people would ever think that Alf was part of Fraggle Rock.
0: Well, you know, in addition to being very secretive, I think he's just very protective of Alf and where and when he can be portrayed. You know, like he does these 1010, 10, 10 20 commercials with yeah, Alf. right. So he's not above like shilling Alf for a dollar, but I do think it's really, is it in line with this character?
1: I, that was a great setup because you want to know what stage Fusco said yes to? In 1987... Nancy Reagan invited Alf to the White House Christmas party, and Fusco oh. said, You bet your bottom dollar I'll be there.
0: Interesting. And so they
1: set up a whole thing so Fusco could hide beneath the chair and have Alf there. And afterwards, Reagan comes up to Alf and says, Your show is my favorite show. Wow. So no to SNL, no to Jim Henson, no to Budweiser, but. You know, you can't say no to the White House Christmas party hosted by the Reagans in eighty-seven.
0: I thought it was gonna be for the just say no Nancy Reagan platform. Maybe (laughs) Alpha's gonna be like, Don't do drugs, ha!
1: We'll kill
0: you. (laughs) I kill me, but drugs will kill kill you. you. Ha! That was gonna be something like that because (laughs) I mean it kind of makes sense. But one thing that I thought was kind of cool about this character is he was like a huge proponent of saving the environment. Oh, And part of the whole thing was like his world, we should say, his people blew up their world. It was basically as a nuclear explosion. Yeah. And so a big thing that he talks about is like humans, people of Earth protecting their planet and being stewards of the environment. And so there are certain episode plot points. There is actually one where Alf does a letter writing campaign to this company that manufactures chlorofluorocarbons, like CFCs oh, that were in wow, refrigerants and coolants and stuff like that. And there's this whole storyline where they like go up against this big company and kind of make a passion pitch for protecting our world and not exploiting it. And I was like, you could tell that there was a sense of that uh, with Fusco that he kind of brought out through Alf. And of course he makes the joke he's like, I don't want to be responsible for blowing up a third planet. Willie turns around. He's like a third. third? He's like, hey, a guy's got to have some secrets, but (laughs) (laughs) so we don't know what that second disaster was. Uh, But by goodness, it wasn't going to be a third. That's pretty good. We've covered a lot of ground. We didn't get into a lot of specifics because there's just so many plot points and things. You kind of just have to go watch them yourselves. But I'm telling you, all of this talk has me just famished. Talking about cats. I'm ready for a fancy feast.
1: A a fancy feast. Yeah, I I was going to go with like a fresco feline fettuccine. Sounds Mm. tasty. I've just been
0: inspired. Well, there's nothing fancier than school lunch. So (laughs) So let's hit this cafeteria. And then afterward, we can regroup in contemporary culture to see if we can resolve this Alf cliffhanger we've been left with. What do you say?
1: Oh, good. I love it. Let's rock and roll.
3: Before you get up for that final snack, I want you to know I'll be right back.
2: Ha! Oh, my ears!
3: She's terrible!
1: She's great. You're being too easy on her, Hulk. I like things to be easy. Like 1010-220. 10, 10, exactly.
3: I know 1010-220 10, 10, is cheap, but it's easy too.
1: Yeah, there's no signing up. You just pick up the phone and dial it. And all calls up to 20 minutes are 99 cents.
3: Easy and cheap. I'll have to try it. Thank you. I told you she was great. You should switch to decaf. Up, dial. ten, ten, two, twenty. 220 It's an alien. No kidding. Where? It's living in America. I like what they've done with the place. It loves cats. Can't get enough of them. It's Alf, and now it's everywhere. He's debonair, and yet fuzzy. My parents just don't understand our relationship. I mean, this whole cat thing's been blown all out of proportion. Alf. Alf, alien life form new from Coleco.
0: Okay, well, we had our lunch. Thankfully, there is no feline on the menu. I'm very happy about that. (laughs) And we're here in contemporary culture to talk about what came next for the ALF property. As we mentioned, the show ended on this unintentional cliffhanger. According to Ben, the worst episode of the 102 run. Oh, boy. The intention, of course, was to either have another season or to have that movie to wrap it up. Well, they finally get it in 1996. Take some time to get back around to it. Six years later, and it's not on NBC. It ends up getting picked up by ABC. Mm -hmm. So what happened? This was a made-for-TV sci-fi film directed by Dick Lowry. It's serving as that sequel and wrap-up to that final episode, Consider Me Gone. The only actors to appear in both the series and the film were Paul Fusco. And Beverly Archer, who I didn't know who she was, she plays one character in the show and a different one in the film. None of the Tanner family is there. So ABC approached Fusco and said, hey, we want to give your show the closure it deserves. And the idea is if it was successful, they could use it as a backdoor pilot for a new series. Yeah, right. So what is the plot of Project ALF? Oh my God. It begins where ALF ended, as we mentioned, Gordon Shumway... Is captured by the US Air Force Alien Task Force when he's trying to leave Earth. He's under lock and key at Edmonds Air Force Base, under the orders of Colonel Milfoy, played by who? Martin Sheen is in this. Martin Frickin' Sheen. A huge name in this movie. For some unearthly Melmachian reason. Why? Signed on for this spoilers, awful script, terrible oh show my premise. God. So here's the gist of it. Contrary to everyone's fears, Alf is doing great in captivity. He's just kind of living it up. He's kind of being Alf. And Milfoyle plans on killing this prisoner under the guise of a beauty treatment? Oh my god. For which he's left a paper trail implicating his aide de camp, oh lieutenant Reese, setting him up as a scapegoat? So these two Air Force scientists help Alf escape after learning what Milfoil's trying to do, They're going to expose Alf to the world through a broadcast, and by doing so, not allowing him to be killed, but what they realize (laughs) is that there's going to be a secret auction to sell Alf to the highest bidder. So insane. More dastardly things happen from Milfoil, and you find out he's fueled by his hatred of aliens because his mother was abducted. Long story short, Milfoil is foiled. Ah, Milfoil. That's good. He's Milfoiled, and... Ooh, milfoil. That sounds gross. Uh, milf? <laughs> oh, no. Milfoil. Milf. <laughs> right. New
1: brand, milf oil For all your needs. I'm Alf, and, <laughs> and when my hair gets milf- mangy, I
0: only use milf Oil.
1: 100% Fusco said that on set.
0: I have no doubt. <laughs> I have no doubt. That's <laughs> But right. he said it
1: out. It's right after home. But oh, right my out.
0: God. So he's foiled, and Alf is appointed as ambassador to Earth. Shocker of all shockers, this movie horribly received when it airs in 96, largely because the Tanners aren't in it. The characters are weak. It doesn't even really give a proper conclusion to the series. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, I watched the trailer. That was enough. The movie's out there. It's quite watchable. It is on YouTube. I had no earthly interest.
1: Well, it's quite accessible. I wouldn't say watchable.
0: That is a very, thank you, (laughs) a very, very important point of order.
1: Well, and it sort of touches on, so Fusco said if they did a fifth season, this sort of gets into what their fifth season was going to be about. You know, if they did another season of ALF, the Tanners would be gone, mostly, and ALF would be on a military base. And they'd be, you know, testing him and interviewing him and asking him questions. And he would be sort of this Sergeant Bilko silly goofball on base. And the Tanners could visit once in a while, you might see them.
0: And part of the reason is the show's premise is really what strained it in some ways too is like when you have this homebound alien who can't get out and meet a lot of people that started to really strain the show and yeah, the plots and right. what they could do. So yeah, this basically was how the show was going to be, which to make that huge of a pivot for the show, I don't know that that would have landed well, even if it did pick up in the 1991 season, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, nineties were changing a little bit, but still, you know, it, it's hard. I think it's hard to make that jump from a family sitcom into this, like, military comedy.
0: It's a hard pivot.
1: It's a real hard pivot. And still, when you've got just blockbuster family sitcoms in the 90s still, you've got, you know, Full House and Step by Step and Roseanne is still going. Mary with Children is still family going. Family Matters. Family Matters, yeah. Matter, yeah. that had been really strange.
0: So that's the end of the show proper uh, yeah. with this movie. It tanks, and that's kind of all she wrote there.
1: But did you see what replaced Alf on NBC's time slot? Fresh
0: Prince of Bel-Air.
1: The irony! Like an out-of-place character thrust in with a family who just won't leave and makes cheeky observations about that family's lifestyle, and they all learn something from one another. Who
0: ends up defending Earth from an alien invasion! Twice Will Smith has thwarted aliens. It's a- once, <laughs> once Alf, the other, uh, whatever that species was, in Independence Day. That's an amazing leap. Well done. That was good. But as we've mentioned, Alf does not get put back in that hefty bag and stowed no. under Fusco's bed. They just keep yanking him out. Alf pops up in trapdoors everywhere, Damn. notably next in the NBC 75th anniversary special in 2002.
1: Yes. And how did show producer Tina Fey feel about
0: ALF in that show? She had said that her biggest frustration as a producer was dealing with ALF's people. (laughs) So I did a deep dive to find this interview. Oh, good. Because again, this is another thing where I read about it. I was like, Mm, I want to hear Tina say it. And you can actually find it on ConanClassic.com. Oh, good. She's talking to Conan O'Brien on Late Night. And yeah, she says, because Fusco didn't want to break the illusion that Alf is a puppet, much like we said Uh, before, the only way that they could do this is that it had to be in all this secrecy, that the puppeteers had to be hidden from view. And so in the little skit, it's very brief. Alf makes a cameo with Family Ties star Michael Gross. He plays the dad. Mm Mm-hmm. They'd have their little bit back and forth. And she said, right after that, Alf disappeared through a hole. He was stuffed in the case and immediately taken out of the building. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm wondering if that's at the insistence of the producers or like, we're so done with these people, get them out. Or it was just like Fusco didn't want anyone to see The puppet. So he's like, I got to get out of here as quickly as I can. After all the phone
0: calls Faye and other people had to have with him, it was probably a mutual agreement where he's like, I got to get this puppet out of here. And they're like, by all means. fantastic. Off you go, sir. Please go. Two years later, in 2004, there's Alf's hit talk show. Did you try and watch any of this? I didn't. I want to give the premise and then I want to hear what you... Oh, boy. Did you? It sounds like you did.
1: Uh, I did the scrubbing. A little 30 seconds of one episode. That's all I could do.
0: Okay. So here's what it is. It debuts on US cable channel TV Land. It features Alf as a Johnny Carson-style TV talk show host, co-starring who as his sidekick? It's so Johnny Carson-type TV talk show that it co-stars Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon co-stars with Alf. They have guests such as Drew Carey, Tom Green, Merv Griffin. It runs for an amazing run. How many episodes, Ben? They must have run out of film. Just seven. Just seven episodes. Unlucky number seven oh my God. for this golf show. Tell us about it. What was your experience and your scrubbing of it? It's
1: just not that funny. Like it's I think we talked about this in one of our recent episodes too, where like when you are injected into one avenue of a pop culture metropolis, that is your mm. identity with that pop culture. And sometimes it's hard to adopt the other things that come out of it, the, the spin-offs as you will. Like if you loved Ghostbusters because of the action figures that came in maybe the movies aren't that great for you because that's not your Ghostbusters. Your Ghostbusters are just the action figures. With Alf, it is a family sitcom. Yeah. And when he shows up as a talk show host with all of these other adults and you lose the fan, it just feels so
0: wrong. It's a little bit like that backdoor pilot with the movie, right? He's on the Air Force Base. It's just, yeah. it doesn't, it's like you said, it's like, Kids have this small view of the world, and Alf is stuck in this house. So he kind of has, he's an adult, he's older than everybody in that house, and yet he has that childlike wonder. And you somewhat lose that when you are in these very sterile, unfamiliar environments. Yeah. Well, let's jump ahead then to 2012, mm-hmm. where in May of that year, Fusco is pitching an Alf movie. Mm-hmm. Not a made-for-TV movie. No. A big screen, theatrical release. In August of 2012, Sony. Pictures was interested, and they acquired the rights to ALF to develop the property into a CGI live-action hybrid feature? Yeah, you read that right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. And so this was a decade ago, and I couldn't find any updates on this thing in the works. No. At the time, the guy who produced the Smurfs was tied to it.
0: Wait, the Smurfs movie that came back out? Yeah, the animated kind right. of CGI-ish? Okay. Right. Okay.
1: And so, like, live action, especially these, like, treasured nostalgic properties, is such a dangerous game. You know, you think of, like, Sonic the Hedgehog, and when those first trailers dropped and Sonic looked horrific and nothing like the video game character, people went nuts, and they had to go back and redesign it, and actually when they redesigned Sonic, people actually kind of really liked Sonic the Hedgehog.
0: Well, and this is the reverse. You had the... Practical puppet that I guess is going to be CGI in some scenes. See, that's Uh, so strange. Yeah. That's like if they said we're coming out with a CGI E.T. Come on, get out of here. They did. Didn't you see the redo where... Spielberg added in some extra scenes and there's CGI E.T. in it? Is there? it
1: when they walk on Tatooine and then they're like strolling? and No, like a seriously,
0: Ben. When he when he redid it, there's CGI added back in. Remember they changed all the guns to walkie-talkies? Oh, I remember the guns walkie-talkie thing. I forgot about CG E.T. No, there's no actually CG,
1: yeah. Spielberg, how dare you?
0: Guys, just leave it alone. Stop touching it. Let's advance in time to 2018 yeah. where there's discussion of a reboot Ooh. with Warner Brothers Television but later that year, it's canceled. (laughs) That didn't take long. The reboot would have likely focused on ALF returning to Earth with a new family and characters. So back to that sitcom family dynamic that seemed to be the best place for ALF. But do not worry, listeners. As of February Mm 2022, did you see this, Ben? I think I did, which is another line to another episode of ours. Shout Factory acquired distribution rights to all alf titles the alpha verse along with plans to develop new alf related content so this is why i think you can't find it on amazon anymore because of this distribution rights yeah, handover shout factory says they will leverage what it calls unparalleled access to archive content and the original broadcast from alien productions and mounting an, quote, aggressive rollout of pop culture content related to ALF later this year. Exciting. Well, and do you recall
1: what other property Shot Factory owns the distribution rights to?
0: Gosh, what was it?
1: It feels confusing. It feels almost like a mystery, doesn't it? What, Unsolved Mysteries? Mystery, science, theater, oh. 3,000.
2: Awesome's in the Shout
0: Factory stable. Okay.
1: Which also, again, you know, you go on Amazon, it's hard. You can't find MST. You can only find the riff track. So I think there is something with Shout and Amazon. I think you're right onto it.
0: Okay. So that is the latest of late breaking. Allegedly later in 2022, we're going to see an aggressive rollout. And probably I'm going to guess an attempt at a reboot. I think the I reboot's going to happen. Yep. That's my feeling. That's where you're putting your Malmachian dollars. That is what I have for contemporary culture. Ben. Is there anything else before we wrap this up?
1: No, that's it. I think I've milked every cat I can find in history, oh, in chemistry, and in contemporary culture.
0: Is that your meet the parents that's reference? My meet the parents of Alf reference.
1: Alf, why did you get lucky and try
2: to <laughs> milk, milk to him out? Milk him!
1: It really is the clenched jaw. I'm kill that you. is the key to the right impression: is
0: the very tight back jaw.
2: Alf, I can't believe it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So great. Okay. Well, listen, everybody. We've tried to learn Melmachian calculus for this week's test. I have my cheat sheet prepared, so let's head to math class and solve this proof of how ALF holds up today. Ben, I hope you studied hard. I hope so. I think I've done my homework, uh, but
1: we're we're about to see how the rubber meets the uh, alien landing strip road. Let's see how it goes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Benjamin. We've talked about all things ALF. What is your assessment of how ALF holds up today?
1: Great question. I'm going to go with a bit of an ALF sandwich to answer your question. I'm going to give you some good bread and some maybe slightly overdue meat and ingredients (laughs) in the middle. (laughs) Okay. You know, on the positive, I said it, I think both the concept – of alf i like the premise the premise is interesting that this alien who has nowhere else to go crashes into this family and can make observations on the world and the family is trying to hide him and they both love hate him Uh, i think it's a great premise i think that's interesting you're starting with with good ingredients and i am impressed by the puppet i know one person on this world doesn't want us to know it's a puppet but we know it's a puppet and (laughs) i am impressed with the technicalities of alf i think that's great I think the ugly meat in the middle of this sandwich, for me at least, is the environment that Fusco created on set. And I know, you know, we talk a lot about this, that you try and separate the art from the artist, but this just sounds like a really bad environment. His insistence on hiding off as a puppet really... For the crew and the cast and everyone involved with it really had them miss out on a lot of opportunities of where their careers could have grown because of where Alf could have gone and and been a part of. Mm. And to what is very clearly harassment on set of Fusco, of the cast members, and his insistence of these horribly draining days for his perfection to feed uh, just what he was asking for. Although there's great footage of from the documentaries of people getting along okay – it sounds like it really just made this a really, to use a more contemporary term, toxic environment for people involved. And that really takes some of the shine off ALF for me, to be honest. And like I said, in rewatching it, the family just wasn't really believable for me. Like, it was hard to see a family unit there. But to your point, it's because everyone's always talking. It's the ALF-Bechtel test. You're either talking about ALF or to ALF. Yeah. Like I said, this was going to be a positive cat sandwich. So the other good bread on this sandwich is that it was funny. There are definitely parts where I did laugh out loud. There were some good zingers, some good jokes. Mm-hmm. Alf is an iconic pop culture character. I kill me. It was fun I to kill bring me. that back. So it, it still has some good laughter. So that's my uh, sometimes hard to swallow cat hoagie I'm going to deliver in math class.
0: And one thing we should say to your point, obviously, I think the biggest critic was Max Wright, again, who played Willie. And I didn't mention this earlier, but he did come to a place in his later years where he kind of softened on oh, his good. feelings about the show and did say that it was able to create a lot of joy for audiences who watched it and so i think he came to appreciate that more as he had some separation that's good he found some peace with ever it. since he jumped into his car and sped away forever
2: <laughs>
0: so my feeling is kind of two parts i think alf as a character is iconic like you mm-hmm. mentioned like the look the expressiveness the voice the attitude you know, you can really start to see how people would personify this puppet into a real character, like when Tartakov is talking to Alf rather than to Fusco in that meeting. And the fact that Fusco was able to plop Alf into many different scenarios, I think is a testament to the character who can exist as like an observant outsider and a commentator on humanity. There's always something fresh for him to bring, I think, even to a modern audience. I could see that if it's done well, it's still relevant. Having that outside perspective, commenting on humanity, that's always going to be timeless. And even so, like we said, a lot of these attempts to plop Alf into different scenarios did feel less than when that core family wasn't involved. And I think that's really suggesting that the ensemble cast was an integral part to the show's success, which I think will be important if they do any kind of reboots and revisits in the future. As the show goes, I do think it holds up fairly well for what it is. I mean, it is a sitcom that's severely limited by the technicality of its puppet and its premise. Despite the hard jobs everyone had, the actors brought Alf to life in a relatable way. Even knowing all the hardships the show put on them, Mm -hmm. it managed to exude charm and love without even a hint of that dysfunction, showing them the performances. That's impressive, yeah. But all that said, I think re-watching the show in the way that we did exposed that formulaic nature of the plots, and I think that makes it something best taken in small, fuzzy doses. Small, fuzzy doses. I like that. It's a good closure. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. I took a pretty hard dive into this content. Yeah. I think more extensive than I have amazing. other ones. But I wanted to get to the core of some of the things, and it it felt a little nebulous. So hopefully that was interesting to listen to some of the the scandal, the (laughs) darker parts of a fun show of ALF. So yeah, thanks everybody for listening, Ben. Yeah. What can our listeners expect for the next episode of 80s High?
1: Well, this is a lot of drama. This was a lot of pressure. Because when I looked at our calendar, I realized this is my final pick of season two. That is a big deal. Dum-bum-ba, and I was like, "What would to be my lasting mark on season two? What's my choice? So I figured summer is coming up. And, you know, you had a great thematic pick at the end of season one where you talked about road trips.
0: Right. Summer vacations.
1: Yeah, it was good timing and it was a good and broad reach. And so I thought, you know, what were my summers defined by as a kid? What were big iconic things of my youth? And then I thought of one, and I, this is a topic I've talked about ever since we conceived of 80s high, and I was like, okay, this is the time. It's time to bust this oh, one out. I'm excited.
0: I'm curious, okay.
1: So there was a treat when I was a child that I really only got during road trips, and that treat would often fuel all sorts of creative play all summer. In the forest, hmm. on the playground, in the sandbox, in the community pool, and I know that this is a hot topic for a lot of people, so I'm excited to dig into it. So on my final pick for 80s High Season 2, we're going to pull on up and we are going to order up something tasty. And as that crinkly bag comes in the car, we're going to plunge our hand through the oily, steaming, hot, scalding french fries to dig in for those beloved fast food toys from the 1980s.
0: I had a feeling you were going in this direction when you mentioned the road trip and the treat. I was like, we've talked about Happy Meal toys and all those things. I was like, is this where we're going? That's where we're going. Oh, we are
1: going. And you know, Ah. I did a little preview peek and there is like some really interesting history. And if you're ready to like get those nostalgia pumps Mm. going in your brain, strap in because there's a lot in this next episode.
0: I'm already thinking of multiple toys I coveted, wanted, got as a kid. The meal was good, but you're just like chucking burgers oh, yeah. and fries. Where is you're it? Like, give me the toy.
1: So snuggle up with your Alf Puppet from 1988's Burger King Kids Meal. Because we're going back to fast food toys on the next episode
0: of 80s High. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical!